It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. This actual settlement, in my personal opinion, is uh, probably about as good as it could have been for that. We were preparing for something much worse. And I think looking at what the outcome was, um, the punishment fits the crime. And the industry and Binance are most likely better off for it. Welcome back to the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm your host, Kelly O'Grady from Fox Business. If you're listening in the U.S., I hope you had a lovely and restful Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, If you're outside the U.S., I hope you had a good two weeks and you are getting yourself prepared for the holidays to come. I just want to give you an update on the pod quickly. So we're going to aim to bring you new episodes basically every two weeks or so now. Uh, We're going to focus on what's happening in the crypto space And we may drift into some adjacent spaces if there's something that's really important to talk about. Uh, But today we are going to stay with crypto. We're going to hit that because even though it was a holiday in the U.S., that did not stop the crypto industry being as active as ever. Uh, We recently hit a new year-to-date high in Bitcoin. We are still obviously uh, pretty far off that all-time high but it is up over 120% on the year. So that progress has been really impressive to watch. And it's certainly something to keep an eye on as we finish out 2023. But we also had some big news from the DOJ. So Binance, they are the largest crypto exchange, pled guilty to money laundering charges. Uh, And in fact, the Chinese billionaire CZ, who was the CEO and founder of the company, he pled guilty as well. Um, he is going to step down. Uh, he faces potentially an 18-month prison sentence as well as a $50 million fine. Binance, though, as a whole, is going to pay a whopping $4.3 billion in penalties. Uh, now, just for some quick context before we hop in, the charges against Binance say the company broke U.S. anti-money laundering and sanctions laws. And really the meat of it was that they failed to report more than 100,000 suspicious transactions uh, with organizations that the U.S. described as terrorist groups. And so in the charge, uh, in the DOJ statement, it mentioned uh, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, Iraq, Syria. And I just want to share a quote with you from A.G. Garland when he made the announcement. He said, quote, Binance made it easy for criminals to move their stolen funds and elicit proceeds on its exchanges Binance also did more than just fail to comply with federal law. It pretended to comply. So all to say, not amazing PR for crypto there. Of course, this is what the naysayers uh, have been saying would happen. A lot of folks are saying, I told you so. Um, This also not amazing time in the sense that it comes on the heels of SBF's conviction, which we've been talking about. Um, But some folks are saying, hey, This is just what needs to be done for the space to flourish. We're going to get rid of the bad actors and the industry is going to be able to evolve and improve. So joining me now to break it all down is Patrick Hillman. He is actually the former chief strategy officer at Binance. So I am so looking forward to getting his take on everything today. Uh, Welcome, Patrick. So good to have you. Thanks for having me on, Kelly. So I just want to start off. Um, so blanket statement, the allegations uh, at, you know, at Binance were from a time before you joined um, and you you left the company a couple of months ago. 
Uh, but they, these allegations didn't surface until now. What was your reaction last week when this news broke, when you saw this monster fine, the charges of money laundering? Uh, what were your initial impressions? Yeah, well, I think I should be a little bit transparent here. Um, when I joined the company in summer of 2021, um, the company was had at that point already received their target letter from the DOJ, right? So they were aware that the DOJ was investigating them and, and had um, a really clear sense on what the issues were that they had. And so when I joined Binance, I came in you know, completely open-eyed as to what the challenges were. Um, when you think about crypto companies, especially today, you have to keep in mind that a lot of these companies started four or five years ago, right? Binance just turned six. And we've never really had another example of an industry virtually blowing up overnight at, in, at this sort of scope and scale. And it's further sort of ratcheted up by the fact that this is finance, right? And you can look back at early internet companies during the, you know, the early internet boom, you know, early mid nineties and say, well, those companies grew really fast. That's fine. That's fair. But you didn't have companies going from a startup, 20 people, uh, maybe four or $500,000 in net revenue in their first month to six months later being the largest exchange rivaling the size of the New York stock exchange um, and, you know, netting probably close to two to three billion dollars um, on track that year in net revenue. And so there's never really been another sort of case study to sort of relate these companies to. And like any sort of, you know, tech startup, uh, they're really messy. They're really messy. And when you're launching into a highly regulated space like finance, that sort of uh, lack of coordination, uh, lack of experience is inexcusable. Uh, regulators don't say, oh, well, they're only six months old. We should give them a pass. And so when I joined, I was fully aware that they were going to be having these issues and they were going to have to remediate with the government for some of their shortcomings. We could talk about that in a second, what they were. But this actual settlement, in my personal opinion, is uh, probably about as good as it could have been for that. We were preparing for something much worse. And I think looking at what the outcome was, um, the punishment fits the crime. And the industry and Binance are most likely better off for it now going forward. And I think that's why we're seeing the markets in this massive upswing. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of folks are are looking at these essentially bad things, right, that, that have come out in the past uh, month or so. SBF's verdict came back at the beginning of November, then you had this. And I think a lot of folks are trying to wrap their heads around going, well, why is Bitcoin <laughs> rising? But to your point, I, I think a lot of people are playing this out as saying, okay, you know, there's, there's oversight coming to the space, there's regulation coming to the space, we are getting rid of the bad actors. Um, but you know, you mentioned some of the challenges when you came to Binance, uh, and, and some of the things that obviously came out in, in the DOJ announcement. So I'd love if you could kind of elaborate on that, because I, I really liked the way that you described it, because it reminds me a lot of the FTX, um, obviously not in the same realm, but that sort of building a plane as you're flying it. That was something that uh, the defense counsel had said multiple times. And it really gets at that messy startup trying to figure out what this is. Um, so what were the challenges when you came into that role uh, in the C-suite? 
Yeah. So, you know, I think to be fair, you know, by the time I joined um, CZ, its founder had already realized that um, they, they were running a, a financially regulated entity, right? A lot of these startups um, in the crypto space saw themselves as essentially selling Pokemon cards, right? They thought, well, this is just a token. This isn't a security. It's not a digit. It's not a, a yeah, it's a good card. analogy. Yeah. It's a Pokemon card, right? And the rules regarding how you regulate Pokemon cards are really lax, rightfully so. You're selling Pokemon cards. And the value may go up, it may go down, but in the end, it's a Pokemon card. Uh, but that wasn't reality. And regulators by 2020 had been very clear across the globe with these companies that uh, you are not selling Pokemon cards. These are these are digital currencies, they're assets, and you're going to be held the same laws that other traditional financial institutions are held to. And so this is where you start to see the problems. Um, one thing you don't need for a, a Pokemon card exchange, but you definitely need when you run a regulated financial entity is something called KYC. Know your customer. If you are going to work in this space, you have to collect data on all of your customers, um, a driver's license, a passport, a utility bill that identifies who actually is behind these accounts. And what that does is it allows law enforcement to ensure that if they're trying to seize money that's tied to illicit funds, that they go to an exchange and they say, we know this person has an account with you, which one is their account? They have to be able to say it's this person and they have to be able to freeze it. Well, without having KYC, which is the most fundamental requirement of any AML program, anti-money laundering program. And this is where you get some of the language of Binance's in violation of money laundering laws. They didn't have KYC. Uh, I don't believe any exchange when they launched, any of the major exchanges, even Coinbase, but I could be wrong there, had full KYC when they launched. And that was a huge mistake for the industry. And it was a massive mistake for Binance. So that was kind of Great sin number one. And I'm going to simplify this a little bit because we could talk for hours. But the, the next sort of mortal sin, if you will, is um, once they launch KYC, they learn that they have a bunch of U.S. users and they're making and profiting off of U.S. users and they don't have a license to do so. So they get charged with not having a license for an exchange, right? And then number three, probably the most mortal of mortal sins, once they have... KYC'd and found they have these US users, they know they don't have a license, their legal obligation is to get every single US user off the exchange. And this is where they really went wrong. And this is why they're in the place they're in today. Because what happened was, is they wanted to keep some of these institutional US users. They offload most of their, their retail users immediately, many of their institutional users, but some of them they got greedy with. A lot of these institutions have international entities, right? They have uh, a hedge fund here in the U.S. and they also have a hedge fund in Switzerland. And so they thought there was a gray area where they could give these institutions time to change their KYB, which is the know your business. It's the, P, the, the B2B side of KYC to change their KYB and make it appear as though they're trading through their Swiss entity, even though it had started with their U.S. entity. And that is breaking the law, right? That is just, that, that, that's, that's a, a very bad thing to do. And there's no gray area there. And so those three things are really the sort of core of this settlement, which is very different from FTX, right? 
um, FTX and the, you know, in the words of the prosecutor, this isn't the, this has nothing to do with the complexities of crypto. This is good old fashioned fraud. And so Binance now finds itself in a, in a very, you know, sticky situation. Um, to one extent, I mean, $4.2 billion is, is a lot of money. They're going to be okay. It's very well capitalized. You know, they're the largest exchange um, by miles um, globally. And, you know, exchanges like Binance who run a very simple business model where they make money off of simply um, collecting fees for users conducting transactions. When you have as many transactions today as Binance does, they make a lot of money. Um, when you're not gambling it at the casino like FTX was, you don't get into these problems where you have to start stealing user funds in order to keep your company afloat. And so, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more cases like this coming out of the Justice Department. I don't think they're going to be as big because there's no other exchange nearly near Binance's size. But this issue around having KYC, having U.S. users out of license, and whether they got them off soon enough or whether they tried to operate in this gray area, I think there's going to be other exchanges that are going to show they had similar issues. And we'll probably start to see more action coming from the DOJ as a result. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, we're we know that there are a number of investigations um, at some of the different companies, and of course, uh, civil lawsuits as well with the SEC, the CFTC. Um, but I, I do want to just dive a little bit deeper into into something you said. Um, you know, this piece about know your customer, uh, because I think one of the the big sort of eye popping things that came out of this was that uh, Binance was allowing allegedly, you know, these, well, I guess they, they pled guilty, but um, they were allowing terrorist organizations like uh, a Hamas, like an Al Qaeda. And of course, with everything that's going on right now, that's where a lot of people, you know, entered into the story and they were going, what? And so when I was thinking about it, the attractiveness of crypto to me has always been the blockchain, right? That that transactions, when they're made on these exchanges, they can be recorded in that digital ledger, they can be traced, and that creates this perception of transparency. But when you're seeing terrorist organizations use crypto, that that's a little bit of a like, oh, okay, well, that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. So kind of moving off of, of the Binance, but sort of more broadly, you know, why is that? Why are we seeing, from your perspective, terrorist organizations um, employ cryptocurrency? Is it a, a lack of regulation, a lack of symmetry between or across countries, um, which is, you know, some, kind of something that you were getting at before about that, you know, having uh, something in the Bahamas, having something in Switzerland, having something in the U.S. Is it is it that lack of symmetry that makes it attractive, do you think? So it's no longer attractive. And here's why. Um, what made it possible in the past was that lack of KYC. So Binance um, allowed transactions from organizations like Hamas, et cetera, because they had no KYC to even know if Hamas was operating on their platform. They had no way of knowing. Law enforcement had no way of knowing. And so when you hear, you know, the, the Justice Department come out and say, you know, they allowed 100,000 uh, of these groups to, you know, these transactions from these groups to occur, it's because, you know, in the eyes of the DOJ, and again, it's fair, they had turned a blind eye to it, right? They, they, they didn't have KYC because they didn't want to know who was using their platform. Now, you can argue, if you think about, like, who were the average users of crypto in the early days, it was, these, it was kind of this libertarian movement that very, very much grew out of Occupy Wall Street in the 2008 financial crisis. Right. Um, 
knows all about privacy, et cetera. But as soon as KYC gets enacted, right? And Binance, you know, uh, act, enacted it to 2020, 2021, early 2021. As soon as you have KYC, the value of crypto um, for criminals actually swings the opposite direction and in a big way. So if there's no KYC, there's no way for you to know like, oh, I'm I'm a Hamas agent. I'm sending money through Binance or OKX or whoever. There's no way for anyone to know that it's me, right? Now, once you inactivate KYC, now we have a, a Hamas agent who puts his driver's license in. He sends in his utility bill, depending on where he's living. And now we have a name that's attached to that wallet. Now, the one thing that crypto exchanges can't do and, and don't have access to is they're not they're not criminal investigators they're not intelligence agencies so even though they know that this person right um has an account on binance or okx or whatever they, they know this person has an account they don't know that they're a hamas agent right we, we you learn that from criminal investigations from the intelligence community you know doing their own research conducting you know information gathering on the ground and then once they say okay this person is a hamas agent they then go to the exchange, just like they would a bank, right? Banks also don't know this stuff. You know, when you fill out your, when you sign up for a new uh, bank account at your local, you know, branch, you don't write, um, you know, Patrick Hillman. Uh, I live here at you know twenty two twenty two Main Street. Oh, and I'm a I'm a, a money launderer for the Sinaloa cartel, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> you don't include that. You know, you leave that part out. But once. Once law enforcement comes to the exchanges or banks and says this account is tied to you know illicit funds and here's our probable cause, what separates crypto from traditional finance is that once you have that one single account, right, the exchanges are able to not only place a freeze on that one account, but because the blockchain is constantly um, keeping a ledger of every single transaction in history that's ever engaged with that wallet, it allows law enforcement and the intelligence community to map out really complex networks of illicit funds. And so now, uh, back in so back in July, so this is pre the October attack, um, Binance's internal investigations team, which is composed of uh, leading its Tegan Gambarian, he's the federal agent who took down the Silk Road and, and those two rogue federal agents that were operating on the Silk Road. He helped take down Hydra. Um, he now works at Binance. He has a team of 70 other investigators. It includes people from uh, the DOJ, uh, Interpol, FBI, CIA, NSA, basically every three-letter alert agency across the globe. They work at exchanges like Binance and Coinbase. And they're working hand in glove with organizations like IDF. And they were able to take down, I think it was a little bit over $100 million in funds that had flowed through to Hamas and knock out all of these wallets that were tied to Hamas funding. And Hamas or the IDF gave Binance a commendation, and it resulted in Hamas actually sending out a communication to its followers saying, stop donating in crypto, because not only do they lose those funds, but it allows these exchanges and these investigators to map out these complex networks. And so today, if you're a smart criminal, you don't use crypto anymore because it's just too dangerous. No, that's it. I appreciate that explanation because that was, you know, as as you're hearing more and more about the transparency and and of course following the um, the FTX SBF trial, I was hearing about all the forensic accounting that they were doing to trace all the money, and I'm sitting there going, okay, 
Um, but to your point now, it's it's becoming less and less attractive because it is so traceable. And if you enforce that know your customer piece, um, that makes it uh, just simply not attractive. Um, my follow-up question to you then is, as you're seeing the industry evolve and you're seeing more of these enforcement actions, you know, what what kind of regulation do you think needs to happen here to ensure that these exchanges uh, provide the functionality for the average investor, you know, that wants to get into this, that's interested in crypto, um, but ensures that it does become less and less attractive uh, for terrorist organizations like Hamas? Because I was I was rather shocked. Um, Majority Whip Emmer, uh, he posted on Twitter when this all came out, and, and I'll just read you the tweet. I'm sure you're familiar with it. He says, Congress does not need to rewrite laws that work in the crypto space. Yesterday's successful prosecution, meaning Binance, shows that when enforced, current laws are suitable to help weed out bad actors. What's your take? Do you do you agree or do you disagree? Look, Tom Emmer has been a, a tremendous champion of this industry. Uh, he hasn't he didn't love my former employer, but I'll tell you what, it, it's fair. Um but I was a little bit disheartened to see that myself. Um, and, and here's why. I think the industry would really benefit uh, in a couple of ways. And, and by the way, industry actors today, um, particularly Western ones, are completely in agreement that regulation is actually really good for this space for a couple of reasons. Um, first and foremost, if you look at the SEC's recent posture, right, um, there's still a fundamental fight over um, who regulates these assets, and um, how do we sort of how do we how do we view that? And I think the reality is you can't take the existing securities framework and just place it over crypto assets and say, okay, it's all the same. They operate fundamentally differently. They are utilized fundamentally differently, and so there has to be a single sort of entity that is tagged in this country with being the final say with how these assets are regulated. Because right now there's a turf war that's occurring and these exchanges and projects have become the rope in a tug of war between the CFTC and the SEC. And in order to sort of um, try and claim its territory, the SEC has just launched all of these, you know, lawsuits against all the exchanges, which is really expensive. Um, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of attention away from these companies and these projects, um, you know, competing globally. And for people like me, I think it's pretty damn important um, that the U.S. continue to be, you know, a leader in this space. Digital assets aren't going anywhere. There's a, you know, there's a a cottage industry that gets created anytime a new technology is developed that, you know, people are kind of the naysayers, right? They, the same thing happened with the early internet. Oh, oh man, absolutely. It's, right, yeah. nothing, it's going away. It's nothing but pedophiles. Uh, and, and, and they get on TV, they write their books. The same thing's happening with crypto. Like, oh, Bitcoin's going to zero. Oh, all these exchanges are frauds. And we're even seeing the same thing with AI. All of these technologies are game-changing and they're going to continue. As a, as a society at the global level, we are moving to an all digital economy. We are using cash and silver coinage much less, right? And, you know, Elizabeth Warren recently said that she's okay with digital assets, but it needs to be a CBDC, okay? Well, let me tell you the problem with the CBDC. As most of you today, 
is that CBDC going to be on a public blockchain where everyone can see these transactions and everyone has a, the ability to sh show proof of ownership? Or is it going to be on a private blockchain that only the U.S. government has access to? That's really dangerous in people like my eyes because that could become one of the greatest tools of authoritarianism. Maybe not here in the U.S., but if we do it here in the U.S., you know that other governments are going to follow our lead. And I just think of how scary it would be to you know, have a wallet that could be liquidated by an authoritarian government and have absolutely no recourse to say, wait a minute, that money's mine. Oh, yeah, we'll prove it. Well, how do I do that? I'm the one who decides whether it's real or not. That's really dangerous. And so, you know, I think hearing Tom Emmer say that um, was a little bit disconcerting because we, we absolutely need more regulations. It's good for the industry. It's good for users. And things like, you know, exchanges having to do mandatory um, reserves uh, uh, reports, right? So people know the money is there. Like, we don't have that yet. Like, we should have that. Um, nothing about today's legal system would prevent another FTX. Absolutely nothing. FTX could absolutely do it all over again. None of FTX's wallets were public, right? FTX never released their, their earnings reports, never released their reserves reports. And so there's nothing that would stop that from happening again. And so, you know, for me, I really hope that, you know, out of Congress, we're at least going to see them sort of decide and pass legislation that's going to say it's either the CFTC or the SEC. We need one or the other because we have to have a, a, an adult in the room that can make decisions about this stuff. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I think absolutely the first step is to figure out what exactly this is and then who can who can take that next step in in policing and, and regulating. But um, to the extreme of of what Senator Warren was saying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it, it certainly would get rid of all of the bad actors, but you're you're inherently taking away um, the attractiveness and the reason why uh, this was all started. And I, and I certainly don't think that that would help the industry as a whole flourish because you would turn a lot of people off. You would turn a lot of companies off saying, okay, well, this isn't, this isn't what we were, we were planning on doing. And then what you have happened is you would have them go to other countries, um, as many of them already are. And, um, you know, you, you can do a lot more things, a lot different things. Um, and sometimes it's it's not as regulated as it is here. So I am curious to see how it all plays out. Um, but I, I was a little bit surprised when he posted that because I'm thinking to myself like, okay, well, there was enough regulation to catch it after it happened. But to your point, Patrick, you know, you want to make sure that this stuff, um, there are guardrails in place that these things don't happen uh, initially, whether it's a Binance or an FTX. But before I let you go, I want to ask one question about all of this, this SBF FTX stuff, um, because, you know, going back to the, the roller coaster, when things were, were just starting to devolve um, just a little bit over a year ago, Binance featured pretty heavily. Um, you were there during that time. It looked like there was a possibility that Binance was going to buy FTX, save the company, um, and then all of a sudden it wasn't going to happen. So personally, I, I used to work in M&A and I immediately thought when there was that flip, when when CZ tweeted out, you know, that it wasn't going to happen. Um, I'm thinking, OK, either this was a brilliant business move uh, to hurt FTX in the public credibility sphere 
um, or you saw their books and <laughs> knew something was wrong, um, as one does when you're thinking about acquiring a company. So I'm just curious if you can kind of tell me um, a little bit of how that unfolded. Yeah, it's really simple. Um, you know, when you're, and obviously you have a deep experience in this, but when you're going to look at a major transaction like this, um, the first thing you do is you set up a secure data room, right? Now, this is a room the lawyers set up where um, in a confidential environment, the attorneys and the investment teams that are going to be reviewing the documents are able to review these, you know, these materials in a, in a, in a, in a manner that um, ensures secrecy. And you ask for like pretty basic stuff in the beginning, right? I mean, really basic stuff. It's um, what are your liabilities? Um, right. What assets do you have on the books? And what other sort of outstanding illiquid assets are you holding? Right. So it helps you understand like what where do I owe money? Um, what cash do I have on hand? And what assets can I liquidate in the future to make back my money? And as soon as we started to see the initial documents start to come in, um, questions started to arise immediately. And the questions that started to arise, first and foremost, was how much money are you actually missing, right? Because a real, a real heavy debate happened as to what liquid versus illiquid assets were. Our first communication that we had from the FTX team was that there was probably a $2 billion hole that needed to be plugged. Um, and as we started to do diligence, it became really apparent that there was a lot more than $2 billion that had to be plugged. And there were all these illiquid assets. And I say these things now because it's all been put out into court. So I'm not violating any confidentiality here. Right, right. But they were holding all of these illiquid assets that just like FTT, they were basically the only holder of, the only market for. So they were never going to be able to be sold for anything. All these SAM coins, if you were. And so all of a sudden, that $2 billion hole looked like it was six, maybe it was eight. Jesus, it could be 11 or more. And we figured that out after about 12 hours. So then a discussion started. And it was myself, it was CZ, it was our CCO, uh, and then our external and internal legal counsel. And it was, are, are we going to do this? And the answer was, obviously not. Um, not only was it way more money than we had ever expected, that we knew we were not going to be able to get back. At, at $2 billion, we were like, you know what? Four or five years from now, we might make our money back on this. And it would stop a massive sell-off across the globe, right? Which as the largest exchange would impact us and our users. And so that was the value proposition in the, in the, in the, in the, in the early hours. But now that we're looking at a much bigger hole, and frankly, concerns around the legality of what was happening there, we knew that we weren't going to move forward. And so the question came, what do we do? I told CZ, I said, look, if we come out right now and say we're not doing this deal, Sam is going to hammer us and all of his cronies in Washington and his cronies on TV are all going to hammer us for saying we did this you know, out of spite. We never meant to do it. We just wanted to screw them over. But if we wait a week uh, to make it look like we did our due diligence, then um, we're actually preventing them from going and getting other investors. And CZ said, we're going to do the honest thing. We're going to be transparent. I'm going to tell Sam right now that we're not doing this deal. And we're going to put a tweet out moments later, let them move on and try and find somebody else. And so that's what happened. Yeah. I remember that, that in the moment it was, cause I, I was covering this uh, for the past year and it was, oh my gosh, finance isn't going to buy them. And 
of course, there was the backlash on social media. But very quickly after the fact, you guys looked <laughs> pretty smart. Um, and of course, folks were were starting to distance themselves from him. Um, what a couple of weeks later, once uh, they filed for bankruptcy, and and there was the shroud of of ultimately what came out in the trial later. Um, but yeah, super, super interesting. Um, definitely a, a really interesting time to be in the crypto space and be in the position that you were. Uh, Patrick, I really appreciate your time today and for breaking everything down. Um, really clear uh, explanation of, of what was going on there. Really important piece to tease out about know your customer. It's certainly going to be something that um, continues to come out as I'm sure we're going to see more lawsuits, more enforcement actions, uh, and hopefully more regulation in the space. So thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you all for listening. Uh, make sure to subscribe to future episodes. We are going to be dropping every two weeks, breaking down everything in crypto and more. That does it for today. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.